It is good to be gathered with the saints, celebrating, exalting the one who is worthy of it all, the one who makes it all possible. And if your face is not showing that, take this opportunity to let your heart remind your face of that reality. Amen? Man, God is so good. Y'all sound great today. Thank you for just strengthening my heart by singing those words out loud, whether someone next to you thinks you sound good or not. God is so good. And I wasn't talking about anybody around me either. I didn't notice anything, okay? Guys, we're continuing verse by verse in God's Word. We're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Three and a half verses this morning. So when you get there, um, if you could, a little um, participation, interaction, let me know you are there in your copy of God's Word at Ephesians three fourteen. By saying amen. Awesome. This is what God's word says. All right, we're good. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later. I got the Bible with the small tabs. I can't find it. Ephesians 3, 14 to 17 and a half. This is what the word of God says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We're in a section of God's Word where we're going to be walking verse by verse through a prayer that Paul recorded and he actually demonstrated and he walked through himself petitioning the Father for his friends in Ephesus. But before we get back up to verse 14 and walk verse by verse, I want us to take a pause and just really look at that first clause, that first half of verse 17. Maybe just read back over. I'm going to read it back over you. Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In just a moment, we're going to walk through these verses, and we're going to see, based on Paul's participation in this prayer, we're going to see what Paul believed prayer to be, and we're going to see what Paul prayed for the Ephesians to be. And his ultimate ask of the Lord for his friends in Ephesus culminates here in the first half of verse 17. And so before we go any further and and walk through what Paul believed prayer to be, and then what Paul prayed for the Ephesians to be, I want us to be clear about what verse 17 is all about. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And if you're not careful, if you're just walking through the the regular default rhythms of, of this moment of our weekly gathering, you might miss it completely. Because at first glance, when the apostle says, hey, part of my prayer is that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. If you're not careful, what you might take that to mean is that Paul is praying for people in Ephesus to get saved. You might look at that first part of verse 17 and think, oh, Paul is praying that people in Ephesus would come to a saving faith on Jesus as Lord and Savior, that he might dwell in their hearts. That's not what he's praying here. 
I'm sure the apostle did pray those things at different times. Just as you and I as believers, we, we pray those things. We pray for the lost in our lives to come to a saving faith in Jesus where they say, God, I need a Savior. Would you cause the Spirit of Jesus to come live in my heart and have free reign over all that I am? But that's not the prayer Paul's making here. He is praying for his Ephesian friends who are already saved. And the impact of that reality means that you who are here today, already born-again believers, you cannot afford to check out from Paul's request in verse 17. As Paul prayed for the Ephesians in verse 17, the prayer for your lives today as followers of Jesus, all these things he's talking about is all toward that in your life Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So let's walk through and see what that really means. And going back up to verse 14, Paul opens up and he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Well, well, for what reason? Why is Paul bowing his knees in prayer to the Father? Well, based on what he just shared with the Ephesians, remember just the verses we walked through last week, he wanted to encourage the Ephesians. He wanted to remind them, hey, don't give up. Hey, it's okay for seasons in your life to not be okay, but remember the big picture that although the situations of life may be unfolding in, in such un, um, just, um, um, misunderstandings or challenges or it might not make sense and you might become so disheartened, don't let that cause you to grow in weariness. Don't let that bring you to a place where you completely give up. And Paul said, but be encouraged because your life in Christ means that by simply praying, you've got access to God and you can approach him with anything. And Paul says, because of that, because God is always accessible, and I can take anything to him, nothing's off limits. Now I participate in what I'm calling you to. I now bow my knee in prayer to God the Father. And in Paul's participation of prayer in these next few verses, and is as we'll walk through it in the, the weeks ahead, we see two major items this morning. The first is what Paul believed prayer to be. And then something he specifically prayed for the Ephesians to be. So, so let's check out, what does the Word of God say or, or share with us about Paul's belief on prayer? He said, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Prayer has this spirit of humility. Now, I'm sure Paul did physically bow his knee plenty of time when he approached the Father in prayer. But more importantly than the physical manner of prayer, it was the posture of his heart, a posture of humility and dependency, saying, I am bowing myself, humbling myself, because there is a greater authority in whom I must desperately depend upon for everything. For this reason, because my God is always accessible and I can approach Him with anything, I humble myself, I bow my knees, and I pray to Him. What Paul is showcasing here, based on what he believes about prayer, is that prayer accesses the fullness of God. Prayer accesses the fullness of God. He says, I bow my knees to the Father. And then he goes through these three and a half verses. He references the full Trinitarian Godhead, the eternal Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. His practice of prayer engages this cultivated relationship with the eternal Godhead. Godhead. 
So he says, I bow my knees in, in prayer to God the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul's belief about prayer is that it accessed the fullness of God, the Trinity. But not just that, but the other aspect of what Paul believed about prayer was that it affirmed that the fullness of God has access to everything. Paul's belief about prayer was that it accessed the fullness of God, the eternal Trinitarian Godhead, but it also, in accessing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, his act of prayer affirmed the truth that the fullness of God had access to everything. He said, I appeal to God. I bow my knees before God, affirming that he's the creator of all things. He is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God the Father is creator can be understood as the father of all humanity. No, that does not mean that every man, woman, and child conceived into this world is saved and born again. No, that's not what it means. But as creator, God holds over all of his creation this ownership, this fatherhood. He truly is the father of all mankind. The way we talk about it in our own house is we don't say, hey, everybody's a child of God. We don't say that. I find that confusing. Though you could make an argument for it because God's the, the father of all creation. But in our house, if you're a child of God, that means you're born again. And so what we look at in the fullness of God having access to all, he's the father of all creation. He's created all things. So all humanity at conception, everyone's a child of grace. Everyone has, by the grace of God, been afforded an opportunity to come into saving relationship with God the Father. But as a child of grace, being given an opportunity to be saved, you are still a child of wrath until you profess faith on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul's participation of prayer, just the act of bowing his knees, the the posture of his heart, humbling himself before the Lord in prayer is this action of accessing, yes, the fullness of God, but also at the same time affirming that the fullness of God owns and has access to everything. Not just as creator of mankind, though, but we know God the Father is the first person in the Trinity. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the only begotten of God the Father, very God of very God. God the Father is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then most specifically for us as believers, we come to a saving faith on Jesus, and we with great boldness and confidence can cry out to God our Father, not just as someone as detached and unknown, but truly Abba, Daddy, Father, we are children of God. And when you participate in prayer, what Paul knew and what he was so confident of was that when he humbled himself before God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and approached him in prayer, he had this unbridled access, this unapologetic access where he could take anything to his throne. And he had a growing measure of confidence because the fullness of God had access to everything. Paul believed prayer to be access to the fullness of God 
and affirming the truth that the fullness of God has access to all. And notice then in verse 16 how it shaped the way he prayed. Because of what Paul knew prayer to be, he didn't pray on his own limited capacity. He didn't pray according to the limited, finite resources of fallen humanity. He prayed according to the riches of God's glory. Just as he said so enthusiastically a few verses um, before in chapter 3, where he was able to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, those are the same unsearchable riches that he goes into his prayer closet with, of clinging to, has a confidence in. He says, friends in Ephesus, I am going to be praying for you, not based on some limited dream or, or small view picture of life that we could hope for. I'm going to pray for you according to the riches of God's glory. And that's what it's always been about, hasn't it? The desire for humanity, the desire for believers, and our following of Jesus is that he has a presence in our lives that takes such root in transforming who we are that his presence in our lives becomes demonstrated invisible to those around us. Where it's not about our glory, but it's about his glory. When Paul opened up his letter to the Ephesians, he emphasized how God's heart is always about what? God's heart is always about the greatness of his glory and our good. And that doesn't sound okay in the the eyes of our world and society around us, but when it's God saying that, when it's the heart of the one supreme being, it's okay because he's worthy of all glory. God's heart's always about the greatness of his glory through those who are connected to Jesus and one another. And so Paul says, I'm praying for you based on those riches of glory. That the glory that God deserves will become so manifest and apparent in your life that it's visibly demonstrated to the watching world around you. And then it goes into the actual prayer he has. And it's twofold. He says, I pray this, that according to those riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul uses two words for power here. He used, uh, he's used four or five up to this point in the book of Ephesians. He uses two here for power and strength. Dunamis and kraton. Dunamis sounding like our English word for dynamite, something explosive, something really power-packed with this explosive capability. And then kraton, what he uses here for strengthen, it refers to something supernatural, something of divinity, something of out of this world that provides an overcoming of obstacles. So Paul's saying, I pray for a strength and an empowerment in your life. I pray that based on the Spirit of Jesus living inside of you, your inner being, that you would be empowered to an extent where you experience this ongoing transformation of divine orchestration that is empowering you to overcome obstacles that come as a result of this fallen world. In your inner being. What Paul's saying is that 
It's a strengthening of hearts. It's an empowerment that I'm praying for you that begins on the inside and is then directed outward. It's the same phrase he uses in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 16. I think we have it up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It's almost identical language. He tells them in, in trying to help them not be discouraged. He says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Inside out. We have the Spirit of Jesus living inside of us so that regardless of what the external looks like or feels like or ends up being, we know the reality of the inside. That by the Spirit we are experiencing this explosive capability of miraculous magnitude enabling us to overcome obstacles in this world. It happens from the inside out. Over the last month, I've come to favor this cup. This has been my favorite cup over the last month. And on this cup, it says, inside out. And it's got four arrows just pointing from inside outward. And it comes from a conference that our, our ministry leaders went to a little over a, a month ago. And I'd never seen a cup like this, but it was free, so I grabbed it, right? And I thought, okay, it's just another one of those endless mugs we're going to have in the cabinet of our home that's stainless steel. It's got the plastic covering and just looks cool. But then I open it up, and on the inside, it's got this splash guard. I don't know, it's kind of like a sippy cup for adults, okay? <laughs> that's what it is. It basically keeps in what needs to stay in and lets out what needs to let out so that if you're driving in your car or if you're walking and drinking or if you're driving your golf cart and, and trying to drink while you're going to the next shot, the right proportion of flow comes out in a helpful, beneficial, life-giving, non-embarrassing kind of fashion. Pretty cool. And I think the Spirit of the Lord works in that way as well, inside out, dwelling inside of us, strengthening us, in miraculous magnitude, helping us overcome things that the enemy purposes for our detriment, to our embarrassment. But it gets better. See, this conference we went to, and they're kind of like the, I don't know, Disney, Google creatives of church ministry. They're not perfect, but they do their best like we do to point to Jesus, who is. But I don't even think they knew how good they got it. It wasn't until two weeks ago. I, I've already had this mug for three weeks now. I look on the inside and I figure out it's not just a regular stainless steel plastic insulated cup, but on the inside where the fluid is, it's actually ceramic. Who knew that? Who here knew that ahead of time? Okay, a couple of you maybe. I didn't know that. Here's what happens. What the bad reviews that have happened on some of these stainless steel cups is that over time— you no longer get a pure taste of the liquid you're drinking from a stainless steel cup. If you drink from a stainless steel cup, you taste the steel and the, the nasty metals over time. Just a stainless steel cup over time, it begins to trap odors. And uh, any odor trapped for any period of time or over the extended period of time don't tend to smell good. So what the genius is about this design is that the ceramic on the inside preserves the pure taste, keeps the bad flavors and the bad odors at bay, so that over time, the integrity of whatever you want to drink is pure and tasteful and beneficial. 
from the inside out. The same is true with our lives following after Jesus. The outward, it may look one way. The outward may taste a certain way. The outward, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we might be wasting away, but on the inside, because the Spirit of Jesus lives there, provides an ongoing transformation for the glory of God to be manifest, not just on the inside, but these progressions of transformation so that the world around us might see it and give glory and attention to our Maker. Go with me to Isaiah 42, though. This isn't just some trendy cup we just picked up. This has been God's heart from the beginning through the major prophet's mouthpiece. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth, what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. This is emphasizing God the Father as the creator of all things. The, the Father in whom the family and all the heavens and the earth are named after. In verse 6 it says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I'll take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prisoner those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Paul's prayer for his Ephesians friends was that the Spirit living inside them as believers would strengthen them, that they would overcome different obstacles that come as a result of this fallen world so that the presence of God would grow in undeniable radical fashion on the inside where it would then surface and manifest itself in their lives so that those around them would take notice. That's praying based on the riches of God's glory. Isaiah 42 talks about God does not share his glory with no other, but he chooses when we become believers by living inside of us to allow his glory to live there and emanate from our lives for the sake of drawing others to salvation. Now, whether your faces are showing it or not, that should pump you up. I mean, what a privilege, what a gift. I mean, I think back to kids' camp. Inside out, there's no doubt I'm shining for the Lord. Has anybody ever heard that song? I don't know. Okay, maybe that was a different childhood. Maybe I dreamed that. I'm a little twinkle in God's big eye. I'm a shining spark that will never die. That's what we tell our kids every time I drop them off in the carpool line. Let your light shine. I love you kids. Let your light shine. Matthew 5, 16. That they might see your good works and the watching world might glorify your Father in heaven. Paul understood prayer to access the fullness of God and that the fullness of God has access to all. And so his prayer being based on the riches of God's glory culminates in that half part of verse 17, saying, My prayer is that the Spirit would strengthen you so that you'd have this ongoing transformation of overcoming ob obstacles of this world so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. So what's the big idea of Paul's heart here for the believers? It's not salvific. It's not that Christ would come in as a guest and situate the, the rooms of your heart so you're good and you're good off for eternity. It's to dwell in your heart. That by the power of the Spirit in your life, Christ 
would be allowed to come in and have access to every single room of your life. I'm sure I've done a a poor job of it, but notice the beauty of God's word here. Paul says, hey, Ephesians, don't be discouraged. We have a God in whom we always have access to. And this God who we have a fullness of access to, he has access to everything because he's the creator of all things. And he's saying, my prayer for you, Ephesians, is that if we can have a confidence that we have access to him, and there's a truth we affirm that he has access to all things, my prayer is that you would give him full access to every aspect of your life. That Christ wouldn't just live in your heart as a guest or a visitor who has access to certain areas at certain times or in different capacities, but truly that you would open up your heart and your lives, every room of your existence, and say, it's yours. The conviction from God's word this morning is that if God has not withheld anything from us, with the exception of the one thing we deserve, his wrath, God has not withheld anything from you other than that which you deserve, his wrath. Why would we ever withhold any level of access to him? That's where I think the scripture takes us this morning. What did Paul believe about prayer? He believed that it gives us full access to the fullness of God and that we have this truth we can affirm that the fullness of God has access to everything. And then his specific prayer to the Ephesians is that we would truly allow Jesus to dwell in our lives where he has full access to everything. So the question the text asked me, and I think it's asking you, is what might one area of your life today be that you're still holding out? And don't miss it. This is not for someone who's not saved. This can be for you here. Maybe you got saved a month ago and you're early on in your following of Jesus. Maybe you've been here since the foundation and slab were laid over across the tracks and you've been a Christian for decades. The ask is of you who are already followers of Jesus. Knowing that God has not withheld anything from you. What's at least one area of your life you're still holding out? I don't know what that is, but God does. I don't know what that is, but it's likely you do. Maybe it is an area of your faith where it just, you need to, God's burden you with something. And you just need to say, God, that doesn't really make sense. It seems like there's this obstacle in the way. But I'm giving you full access to that. I'm going to step out in faith in that area. Maybe some of you here, you're considering your, your students. Uh, we just recognized some of you seniors last week. Maybe you, some of you are considering career moves or college choices. In the back of your mind, you, you've considered giving yourself to missions or some type of vocational ministry, but you've thought, man, I don't even know how that could make sense or how I could get there or what path I'd take. No, I don't think that's for me. But there's this unsettling check in your spirit that 
maybe God is calling me to something other than just some type of secular career. Those are critically important for others who are called to that. And maybe you're called to some type of vocational ministry, but up to this point this morning, you're saying, no, God, I don't know if I can trust you with access to that part of my life. And Paul is saying, and I'm saying to you, I'm praying that the Spirit would strengthen and empower you to overcome that obstacle and step out in faith and find a place of Christ dwelling even in that room of your heart through faith. Guys, there's a list of other examples we can share. And I would not be doing my job as a called shepherd, accountable to God for shepherding sheep, if I did not share this aspect of an example. And if this next example hits you hard, just as I encourage you not to miss it at the beginning of today's sermon, don't try to blame me. And miss it here. So many of us as believers, we give off the external impressions of following Jesus. But on the inside, we've given so much up. We have forsaken so much just so that the outside would look like we line up with the faith while also lining up ever so closely to Katy, Texas. What part of your faith and following of Jesus are you holding out from the Lord so you can keep up with appearances in 77494? Now, I haven't specifically articulated an example, but... I know there's some that have come to your mind already. That's not me. That's the Spirit of the Lord through His Word bringing that to your heart. There's some of you in your following of Jesus. You're saying, I trust you for my eternity. I trust you enough to, to give up a Sunday so I can come gather and go to Bible study and not do this in the eyes of the world. But I don't trust you enough for my bank account. God, I need to provide a house for my stay-at-home wife. Don't you understand? God, don't you understand I need this square footage in this certain community to keep up with the appearances of where we live? Surely you'll be okay if Surely you'll be okay if I don't give you access to that part of my life. Maybe you found yourself here this morning and you've convinced yourself that's okay. The Bible speaks about one topic more than any other topic. It's the topic of money. Not that money is bad, but the love of money is bad. It's evil. And the ask of every believer following Jesus according to his word is that in our belief that the fullness of God has access to all, that we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, you can have access to everything I know. 
I want to submit to you this morning is to consider during this time of prayer, we're going to take about a minute. Pastor Garrett's going to get up here and he's just going to play some background music. And I want you to ask the Spirit of the Lord in this place. What's one area in your life Although God's given you access to the fullness of who he is, what's one area of your life that you are currently holding out? And as the Spirit reveals what that is, then ask the Lord, what does your next step of faithfulness look like? As the Spirit reveals what that one area is, it may not be comfortable. Even more so, as the Spirit reveals what that next step of faithfulness looks like, it really may not be comfortable. But the comfort we have is that no matter how uncomfortable it might be, when we're walking in the light of the gospel, Jesus is walking with us. And on the other side of walking through that, he'll there still be with us. The fullness of God is who we have a confidence in.